Welcome to The Jeweler District, a podcast by JCK Magazine and JCK Online. Today, JCK's Rob Bates and Victoria Gamelski will interview Kate Peterson, President and CEO of Performance Concepts. Hi, everyone. Welcome to The Jewelry District. This is Victoria Gamelski, Editor-in-Chief of JCK and jckonline.com. I'm here in my home office in Los Angeles, and I'm with... Rob Bates, News Director of JCK and JCK Online. We've got a wonderful guest today. Many of you will know her. She's quite a figure in the jewelry industry and has been for a while. It's Kate Peterson, President and CEO of Performance Concepts, calling in from Montgomery Village, Maryland, an old stomping ground of mine. So nice to have you, Kate. Welcome. It is great to be here. Thank you. And you're missing a beautiful day here in the village. Boy, we actually have sunshine and green and not a bad place to be today. And how are things over there regarding the COVID situation and are things open? Are they closed? It's kind of interesting around here in that the state of Maryland has begun to reopen, as have most states, but we're very much like New York City in that the area immediately surrounding Washington, D.C., the Montgomery County here in Maryland, um, the Northern Virginia area, and D.C. proper are still pretty much buttoned up. And it's going to be another couple of weeks before we're going to be fully open to here. A lot of services are open. I just had an interesting experience for anyone who uh, has a dental appointment in their future. Be prepared to understand what an alien abduction must have felt like. Um, It's really pretty bizarre. But and allow yourself at least twice as much time as you would have expected. To back up a little bit, Kate, so tell us a little bit just about how you got to working with retailers and what Performance Concepts does, and then we can start talking about some of the great advice I know you have for retailers. Well, as many people know, I've been around for a very long time. I got my first job at a jewelry store when I was a college student at age 16 and have been working in the industry ever since, all the way through college and graduate school. Some years back, I found myself as the director of training for the original K Jewelers back when they were housed here in Alexandria, Virginia. And then mm-hmm. as a training director for Sterling, vice president of training for Lippman Jewelers. So I hit some of the big companies first and then branched off on my own with a business partner quite some time ago. I want to say uh, 1998 originally when we formed Performance Concepts. And Performance Concepts provides a lot of services. We work with a lot of trade organizations, designing training programs for retailers, but we also work with a lot of retailers directly. We provide training services, organizational design, management, development, general consulting services, retainer services, things of that nature. So we kind of keep our pulse on a lot of what's going on out there. Both my my field training staff, as well as myself, work very closely with retailers virtually every day. So we, we have a real good sense of what's going on out there and what works and what doesn't. And we also know a lot about how retail salespeople tend to think, which, you know, from an information processing standpoint is kind of useful information. So uh, you talk to a lot of people, what are you hearing out there as far as reopenings, as far as sales? It's a little all over the board. And, you know, that's one of the hardest things about this whole episode in our history is that there's no real consistency. You know, what's going on right now in a lot of parts of the country is completely different than what's going on in New York, D.C., San Francisco. You know, the people that are reopening and as they are starting to reopen, we're seeing, as we might have expected to see, a good amount of pent up demand hitting the ground running at first. And then for those who have been at this now for a week or two that had kind of slow openings some time ago, after that big first hit, things have kind of slowed down a little bit again. And, you know, it presents some challenges, but it also presents a good amount of opportunity. You know, the retailers that I'm hearing really good things from that are doing quite well right now are those that put the time over the last two months into figuring out what they had to do differently. The biggest challenge is getting people to recognize that this is not about going back and picking up where you left off. 
this is about complete do-over. The consumer is completely different in how they're behaving. They're completely different in how they're viewing things. And stores have had a huge opportunity here to rebuild the kind of infrastructure they need. I, I work with a lot of stores over the years. And to this day, one of the biggest things we hear about is the difficulty that a lot of companies have with culture change. You know, they, they know that things need to be different. The obvious question, you know, are there stores that are doing real well? Yeah. And, and there are stores that actually did quite well all the way through this close down because they listened five years ago when we were all saying, look, if you're not omni-channel enabled, you're going to be in trouble. You know, making their website worthwhile, being e-commerce enabled, having people who were very lucid and very able to work with technology with their customers. Those stores tended to have a much easier way to go through all of this. When you say you, you talk about how the consumer is different coming out of this or in the middle of this, what changes are jewelers seeing in consumer behavior? Well, I think jewelers are starting to see these things a little at a time, but the overall trends have been pretty obvious to people who study consumer behavior. Things like this whole idea of clean and safe, for example, you know, people are, are still kind of paranoid about the idea that they're, you know, reaching for the hand sanitizer around every corner in, in a lot of cases. And then on the other extreme, you have people who are just so tired of feeling like they're being controlled in some way that they're behaving almost irresponsibly. So that idea in knowing that the consumer is going to be concerned at some level about being safe while they're out in public is not going to go away. So, you know, making sure that you prepared for that, making sure that handling jewelry is done a little bit differently. We talk about five major changes, shifts in consumer behavior. That's one of them, that tending toward clean and safe. A second one is the trend that's called glass houses and glass boxes, I guess is what's really called in business. And what that means is in the past, when a consumer looked at a brand, they saw what the brand managers wanted them to see, the brand image, whatever that was. Now, consumers have become, in just a, a couple of short months, this is really pretty significant, consumers have become much more demanding with regard to transparency and looking at company culture. You know, do you do what you say? Do you walk the talk? And they can see internal culture as well as external. And as a good example of that, there was a time when if an Amazon employee had a problem with what was going on in a warehouse, the best they could do was complain to their boss. And now... That's no longer the case. I mean, that, that same employee complains to the world and everything stops. You know, all of these little things that are really very important. Um, we like to tell, with regard to kind of very short-term and immediate things, we're telling our retailers, look, you have to make a straight-up decision about what your policies are going to be with regard to security and safety in your store going forward. You can't let that be dictated by the whim of the moment. You know, if, if one person doesn't want to wear a mask, but your policy is that everybody has to wear a mask then you have to be strong enough as a business owner to say to that person, you know, here are our options for you. You can shop on our website and we'll deliver a package to your car. Yeah, that was two weeks ago. I said that I think that it's probably best practice for jewelers to require customers to wear masks because you hear a lot of people saying, well, we will strongly encourage and we ask. So it's kind of like they really want them to, but they don't really want to require it because they don't want any backlash or that, you know, there's... They're afraid one guy might get upset. How does something like that, how do you recommend that be handled? I'm sure that everybody's seen the analogy. It's not exactly the pleasant, but that's like having a peeing section in a swimming pool. You know, <laughs> you can't, there are things you just can't do. You know, uh, for example, if you have a rule, and I'm not saying that either side is right, that's really not the issue, but whatever the position of the business is has to be consistent. If you tell me that your position is that everyone who comes in must wear a mask, I need as a consumer and as an employee, I need to be able to have confidence in that. 
And that means that it cannot be that the last person who didn't want to wear one was let in because you just undid everything that you said you were going to do. On the other hand, if your policy is, nope, we encourage it, but we don't require it, I can walk in your door knowing that that's the case and it's my choice. What we're saying is that you can almost group people into three categories. You have people on one end that really are still very much afraid. Those folks are likely going to be looking for other ways to shop with you. They're going to be very cautious when they come to you. On the other extreme, you have people who are just not concerned at all. They're done with this. They're going to throw the dice. They're going to take their chances. And in the middle is probably 90% of the population, the folks that want to be cautious but are ready to move forward. The people you need to be most concerned about is that second group, the ones that are really not concerned at all, because those are the ones that are very likely going to create problems in the long run. They're not concerned about themselves. Therefore, they're not concerned about the people around them. Right. And you figure if somebody's not concerned enough to wear a mask in a store or in public, chances are they're not a stickler for the kind of guidelines that's recommended to be following. So, yep, that is exactly right. So how are most people handling this? I mean, because there's a lot to do and a lot to be aware of, and it's not a normal situation until we're past this. What kind of things are you recommending and are you seeing? Well, we're seeing just what you described earlier, which again, I think people are going to figure out pretty quickly that they're going to have to kind of put a line in the sand at some point. But at the moment, there are a lot of people that are trying to ride the middle to take the temperature of the people around them, not literally, but figuratively, you know, get a read on the community and see what the public will tolerate. On the other hand, that creates another whole set of issues with employees. But what we're recommending is, you know, it's not a matter of which side you fall on, wear masks, don't wear masks, as an example. It's a matter of being completely consistent with whichever side you choose. And the other thing we're telling people, and this is a tougher one to get across, but I think it's critically important, is tell people what you can do, not what you can't. You know, what are the things that you can offer? In what positive way can you present what you have to offer to people in your safety precautions? You know, have you presented everything in a very positive way? You know, we started telling people about a month ago that as you prepare to reopen, one of the best things you can do is go through and do a deep clean of your store and live stream the whole thing. You know, make it an event. Take pictures, if nothing else, and post them. Show your consumers what you're doing in a very positive and forward-thinking way. I, I really think that focusing on what you can do in a different way than you've ever done it before, as opposed to what you can't, is is really the most effective thing that people could be doing right now. A lot of stores have gotten very creative. I mean, this one store that I work with, they've done a great job throughout. I mean, they have a fantastic website. They're e-commerce enabled. They really haven't missed much through all of this. But one of the very first things they did when they started thinking about reopening was that they had custom ordered masks for the staff. Staff got to choose. They put the word out, picked two patterns out of these five, and they had them made with fabric that represented their store and jewelry related and things like that. So that was the whole goal was to have a conversation piece. Yeah. I'm just wondering, out of all these clients and retailers that you work with or hear about, roughly what percentage are e-commerce enabled and ready to tackle this new normal with you know all the omni-channel possibilities? I would say at most 10% were good to go walking into this. Oh my God. And I, when I say good to go, I mean really able to do business this way and able to make this work. I would say that another probably 30 to 40% were versatile enough and agile enough to be able to jump in and get something moving quickly. 
Well, that's encouraging. And the rest, I mean, do you feel like a year or two from now, they may not be around? Yeah, unfortunately, yeah. I think that that is going to be just a major concern. I'm going to cut that last group in half again and say half of them, some are scrambling, some are really trying hard to get it done. And they're going to be okay. I mean, they'll get there. All right. There's going to be bumps in the road along the way. And the fear is that they fall back on, okay, our customers can come back now. So we're not going to get back to this just yet. And that's a mistake, obviously. And then the rest, they're just not going to be able to evolve. And that's unfortunate. There's going to be a lot of finger pointing and a lot of blaming on, you know, the customers aren't coming. uh, The government kept us closed. I mean, there'll be a lot of blaming going on. But at the end of the day, they didn't want to do it five years ago. They weren't in a position to do it or to even be versatile or agile enough to do it as they needed to. And now the things might come back a little bit. Maybe they bought themselves some time. And the question is, are they willing to recognize that this is a new normal? Hmm. So that's pretty much what we're telling people. In fact, I'm actually working on a program like that right now that's going to launch sometime in the next probably couple of weeks. It's like, look, we as an industry, and, and this is, I, t- I tend to get a little ruffly about this, but as an industry, we have tolerated for years the person who's been there forever, who doesn't want to do things any differently. Therefore, we don't do things differently. Well, guess what? You know, they say that culture change in any business is very difficult, unless in many cases there's a strong motivating factor, a crisis. Crisis motivates change in ways like never before. This kind of crisis makes it so that whatever rules were in place before no longer apply. When people come back to work at this point, I think people coming back to work right now need to understand that they're not just coming back to the same job. They're signing on for a whole new job. You know, it's not okay to not know how to email or text a customer. As a retailer, it's not okay to not have a vehicle built into your business to collect reviews and to allow your staff to text and to communicate with customers that way. It's not okay to let people get by with not wanting to do things because they just don't want to do them. If you're going to survive in this business at this point, I think standards have to be in place that say, you know, we have to be responsive to the customer's new normal. This is not about our new normal. We have to be responsive to the consumer's new normal. If you're a fan of podcasts, you know that listener reviews is what helps make them possible. Help spread the word. Please rate, review, and subscribe to The Jeweler District on iTunes or Apple Podcasts. And now, back to the show. One of the things I'm finding interesting is that a lot of people are, you know, they're opening up the stores, but they are having the staff spend a lot of time with online appointments and, you know, with texting and stuff like that. And theoretically, like a lot of that stuff can be done from home. So you don't necessarily have to go into the store with all the risks that entails. Are there people kind of splitting the balance in any way or? I think part of it right now is that most people don't have an option. They don't have the ability. I was talking with somebody just the other day who said, you know, the way our regs are right now, based on our square footage, I can only have five people in this building at any given time. And that includes myself and my employees. So if I bring back a staff of three and me, that means I can only let one other person in at a time. There's a lot of that. In fact, most places are like that where there's restrictions on numbers. So it makes much better sense for them to split their shifts, to bring people in as they need them one or two at a time and save the extra room for customers coming in. And it makes good sense if they're able and willing to lay out the requirements and the standards to keep people working. In many cases, there are a lot of retailers who had people who were paid throughout. You know, you are paying people 
that means that it's okay to tell them what to do while they're at home. You see a lot of the stories that were out in the industry about the amazing, amazing things that retailers did throughout the country to support their communities. You know, if I'm a retailer and I'm paying you to stay at home, I should be telling you, you're going to volunteer, you're going to represent the company, and you're going to do a virtual reading to people in the nursing home. And when business owners got involved in that and gave people assignments, you know, including reaching out to their customers, including doing follow-up calls, including, you know, whatever it is that they could do for the business, they were able to keep them engaged. The other thing that we've been telling our retailers, which I think is probably going to be a staple going forward, is this. From this point forward, probably the most important number one interview question in anybody's arsenal is, tell me how you spent your time off. What did you do? What did you learn? And, you know, that could apply to almost anything. If your answer to that question is, I have a three-year-old and a one-year-old, so my time was spent being, you know, the, the teacher, the mom, the daycare provider, the everything else. Then my next question is, what did you learn? What do you know about yourself now that you didn't know before? And how can you apply that to your business? What's a wrong answer to how you spent your time? <laughs> I, you know, I know everything there is to know about Tiger King and I binge watched everything on Netflix. You know, I, the wrong answer is anything that doesn't sound like I learned something. And this is a frustration, I think, for a number of us on this end of the business is that there has been so much free information, webinars, online courses, GIA offering their essentials programs free. There has been so much out there that business owners in particular could have been taking advantage of as well as their staff. I have to tell you, I don't draw too many lines in the sand on this one, but I have very little patience for people who didn't do anything during this time, anything but complain. When there's so much out there for you and you really don't know what's going to be happening next, why not take advantage of group think here? Why not get involved with some of these things? Listen to what's going on. You don't have to agree with everything, but God knows there's going to be somebody out there that knows something that you haven't thought of. What are some of the um, really great pieces of education or further research into this industry that you would recommend? I mean, do you have one or two that you think these are no brainers? You have to do this. Depending on you know, your, your specific interest in the business or your specific role, there are three in particular that I thought were really good. The webinar series that MJSA put out, so the manufacturing side for jewelers, for the technical side of things, was incredibly strong. And all of these things, by the way, all these webinars that were presented were recorded. So all you really have to do is go to the websites and find the button and push the access to the record. The second one that I think was really good is the in-store series for dealing with a wide-ranging group of industry presenters. But the uh, Diamond Producers Association series was also very, very good. And I did a couple of those myself, so I can tell you that they were really good. But uh, no, seriously, there, there, was, there was a lot of good information. I think probably one of the very best, however, was the Couch Conference. And that was produced by a number of organizations combined, Smithy Group and Punchmark and some others. And the reason that was so good was because the information was very insightful. It was very forward thinking in most cases. They didn't have a lot of same old, same old out there. And it really gave people a lot, lot to think about. You know, a lot of stores are reopening. How should, first of all, you know, there's so many different reactions to this and so many kind of choices people have to make that are really heavy, you know? And I'm sure there's some people who don't want to come back. And technically, you're supposed to report those people. You know, how do you handle somebody who's scared to come back or is nervous, has a pre-existing condition or 
just has a legitimate fear of this. You know, I think the one thing that often gets overlooked in that side of things is the idea that we don't always know everything we think we know about people. And you don't know what someone's experience has been in all of this, whether they've lost someone, even if it's a distant acquaintance or whatever, you know, the, the idea that something could come that close to them is very scary to people. So, you know, first things first, be sensitive and be sensitive to the fact that sometimes people will be behaving erratically and rather than challenge that behavior, recognize that there may be reasons for it that you're not seeing. That's the first thing. In terms of the actual employment situation, this is the hard part. I think a number of things that were part of this were probably well-intentioned, but not terribly well thought out. The consensus right now really is if you're opening and you're prepared to be paying people and someone chooses not to come back, that's fine. But you do have an obligation to make that known. More importantly, you have an obligation to yourself and your business to bring in a replacement that you are paying. Because at the end of the day, if you're not, you're going to end up owing that money back to the government anyway. Right. So if somebody's sitting at home, you could possibly have them work on the E aspects of it if they don't want to come in or they have a pre-existing health condition or they're pregnant or... Right, exactly. And there's a lot of people that'll be asking themselves that as well. The biggest thing to keep in mind is that that this is not business as usual. This is not just walking back in and starting back up again. On that note, since so much of this innovation is always, we talk about it being digital, it's chat functions, it's even augmented reality apps... What do retailers have to do to make people want to come into their stores? I mean, is there a future for the brick and mortar door, that marketplace? Oh, yeah, I think you're right. Everything is, is kind of flipping to digital for kind of the entry point to the whole thing. But the general consensus is this is going to turn into a retail renaissance. Consumers have learned two things, and, and this crosses every age span. My 80-year-old dad has learned that he doesn't have to go to the grocery store anymore. How cool is that? That was his big day out, used to be you know, going to the grocery store. So for the last two months, he's been really, wow, I didn't know it was this easy. Contrary to what might be conventional wisdom in this case, I'm not looking at this, nor are a lot of people looking at this as a downfall to brick and mortar, quite the opposite, as a resurgence with the appropriate gateways and with the appropriate technology put in place to bring people to the table in the first place. In our business in particular, you know, we are in the people business. We're not in the jewelry business. We're in the people business. We happen to have jewelry as a, as a vehicle, but we're in the people business. So let me ask you the question that you wanted to ask salespeople. What lessons have you learned from this and what lessons do you think the industry has learned? First, I have learned that webinars are not Satan. <laughs> I've resisted for so long. I really did. For no other reason than it was just, it was one more thing to learn and I didn't have time to learn it. Well, now I had time. You know, one of the most, I think for me, after all these years in this industry, one of the things that I learned that is very significant to me is the heart of this industry. And I say that, you know, I don't want to sound sappy, but it really is the heart of this industry. The lengths to which organizations, individual businesses, individual people have gone to give back, to support each other, to support the industry as a whole, the amount of effort that you guys have put out in these podcasts with JCK to really reach out to people and say, look, you know, there's plenty of brain trust here to help. Just tap in. The retailers that have done nothing short of amazing things. This is the first time of this lifetime that we've ever had a step up to this degree. And we've done it. And we've done it with flying colors. And what has the industry learned? I think the industry has learned that we've been too comfortable being a kind of parochial proprietary industry for a long time. It's time to rise up to the level that the consumer is demanding for a, a future. We've got to be there. We, we've shown we've had the heart. 
We've shown we have the wherewithal to get this done. Now it's really, you know, proof is in the pudding at this point. Now it's time to step out there and really do it. Thank you for listening to The Jewelry District. I'm Katie Clifford, co-producer alongside Kathy Passero. Our editor is Olivia Briley. If you like what you've heard, please rate, review, and subscribe to our podcast wherever you may listen. We hope you join us next time for The Jewelry District by JCK. 